Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby podcast how you guys all doing after a big weekend of 1872 cup action we are back uh, to dissect that and look forward to what could be one of the biggest dead rubbers in scottish rugby history this weekend as ever i'm joined by alan and matt alan how you doing pal good feeling feel invigorated post first 1872 cup game a surprisingly good 1872 cup game as you said I, actually, on reflection, I think potentially my sort of, I was just so excited that rugby was back. My expectations of how bad the game would be probably <laughs> meant that sort of just even a try in that first 40 minutes was sort of um, meant that the games sort of broke, went ahead of my expectations. But, you know, it was all right. It was pretty good. A couple of absolute worldly tries. So you don't yeah. see that very often. It was, and we will get into talking about those later on. Um, but Matt is also here. He's just about to fly out with Harry Maguire's legal team to the Greece Island, the Greek Islands, to get him home. How you doing, pal? Yeah, I'm good. I was just looking at that uh, bar bill that's been doing the rounds. I don't don't think my holiday is going to quite li- live up to that. Um, you know, not even one. I could, don't think I could even afford one of the steaks that he was buying. The tomahawk steaks. It was five five steaks for five hundred and forty quid. That is that is going some. I mean, they they saw him coming too. That is an absolute roast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we are going to be um, getting into a um, couple of bits of news items that have come out Pro Fourteen, and also looking forward to Friday night and the Murrayfield Test event. 
Um, and then we'll look back at the 1872 Cup as well. Um, and we've got a little bit of a quiz before we get there. Uh, big thank you to everybody who subscribed to our brand new newsletter. Um, so that went out first thing Monday morning. Um, thanks to hundreds of you have signed up and hundreds more have signed up since seeing episode one. So we absolutely um, thank you so much for your support on that one. If you haven't seen it yet, um, get on to Substack um, and type it. So it's Substack and there's type in Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast and then you'll find our new newsletter. You'll be able to sign up, pop your email in there and it'll be with you every Monday morning. Um, and it's just a little bit of a fun take on Scottish rugby every week, much like you get in the podcast, but in your inbox. So Substack, Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast, get on there. And that's good. So administration done. Speaking of administration, the Southern Kings have gone into administration. Um, Alan, what does that mean for the Pro 14? Yeah, I guess because you've uh, you got sort of two pieces of news today. You've got the one which is yeah the greatest rugby club in the world has sort of gone into administration or at least will be sort of competing uh, in 2020. And then at the same time, the sort of CEO of the Pro 14 has come out and said that, you know, due to COVID restrictions kind of in and out of South Africa, basically none, none of the South African teams are going to sort of participate in the Pro 14 until at least 2021. So, and they've sort of said that they're going to sort of rejig the league accordingly, which sort of leaves it quite vague. But, yeah, ultimately, I guess the season is starting in early December so I guess it kind of gives them that um that that flexibility to if things do improve potentially sort of have um South Africa South Africa teams kind of coming in in January February and sort of having to sort of fill in matches in sort of spare weekends but I think you kind of get the sense that with everything that's happening in Super Rugby that the South African kind of rugby union in general is sort of looking at what it can do either on a more domestic front or kind of wider across Europe. So I don't think, I I would be very surprised if we're in a position in January or February and the Kings and the Cheetahs have just returned to the Pro 14 as normal. How many many games do you reckon the Kings have won in their uh, Pro 14 history out of 55 matches in total? And you and you Ooh. know the answer. Yeah. Uh, well, one against Glasgow, is it not, or Edinburgh? I can't remember. It, uh, yeah, Glasgow and Edinburgh actually. Glasgow and Edinburgh. Yep. Let Let's go with uh, six. What What are you saying, Dave? What do you reckon? Um, less than that, five. You're You're both wrong. <laughs> it's four. <laughs> four. <laughs> Yeah. God. How was how were Edinburgh and Glasgow two of the opponents? I know they make up fifty percent of their victories. Of course they do. I remember the Glasgow loss. Yeah, no, I remember that. I remember sort of the late the late loss at the end. There was something always so depressing about sort of Kings matches, and you know, I know a lot of the Pro Fourteen games aren't getting a lot of fans in, but. There really just was not much enthusiasm for the Kings in Port Elizabeth. Like, I don't think when Zebra were rocking into town, literally not one person was giving a flying fuck. Did, did the South African 
Well, the South African team's like really important though to the Pro 14s, the the commercial viability of the competition. I know that they've said kind of repeatedly that Super Sport, who is kind of obviously the, the Sky version in South Africa, had paid obviously for the rights and that added a significant amount of revenue into sort of the the pooled pot. So yeah, it'd be interesting to to see because I imagine you know SuperSport A are probably going to want to are going to be sort of claiming back for rights that they haven't received this year, and then I imagine I imagine the Pro Fourteen will be sort of in negotiations with SuperSport sort of at the moment to try and kind of manage that because you know I imagine a lot of these things are based on assumptions that SuperSport were going to be paying whatever it was, sort of 10, 12 million pounds in, in sort of 2021. So I suppose that makes it relatively likely that the Pro 14 will still look to add teams rather than be happy with maybe a Pro 12, as as some people on our Twitter were suggesting today. Yeah, you think so. I mean, it feels like they've always felt this need to grow the number of countries and number of teams it's never there's never there's never felt like the pro 14 have been comfortable with the current state of the league however it just feels that at the moment anyway outside of south africa there isn't really i know there's some that's about sort of georgia and romania uh, or you know, or we've we've obviously mentioned argentina but ultimately the great thing that the south african teams brought was tv money and actually what Georgia, Romania and Argentina bring is additional teams and no additional money, which is kind of the exact opposite of what a lot of these a lot of those teams need. So it feels like potentially it, unless it's an African team, it would be very unlikely that you'll have any additional teams next year. Well, we will see. I mean I think obviously the Argentinians there was there was talk of them basing themselves in Spain, which would be very, very good for an away trip when such things are allowed to happen again. But um, we will see how the Mendoza, Pro 14... Mendoza well, away next year. <laughs> it's like the difficulty of Argentina is just like the, the other benefit that South Africa brought is time zone. Just like it's not that difficult to go down to South Africa, whereas like traveling to Argentina is an enormous difficulty. Yeah, I mean, it's not that bad. I mean, broadly, I don't know if you can get an overnight flight from kind of Edinburgh to South Africa, but, I mean, you can obviously get an overnight flight from London to Argentina, and they're only, like, what, four hours behind? So actually, like, even closer than sort of your New York. So I actually think we a lot of people probably assume that Argentina's got kind of a worse time difference than it actually does. I am representing a lot of people in that case. well let's um let's move on from that for the time being we will keep an eye out on that and see if we're playing the super and the pro 12 13 14 or however many teams they rustle up for next season other big bit of news and obviously we'll get into this when we talk about the match coming up on friday the murrayfield is hosting fans on Friday night for Edinburgh versus Glasgow. 700 to be exact. There'll be 1,000 people in the stand, about 300 um, support staff, and I think um, 
the sort of corporate partners and things like that as well, making out the rest. But 700 uh, bona fide Edinburgh rugby fans are going to be in there at Murrayfield, all sort of coming from the immediate um, immediate area, which is interesting because the United City is now being divided up by Edinburgh rugby, which, you know, I just didn't think we'd see that. I think citizens of Murrayfield are quite happy with that, actually. I think they consider themselves a, you know, a separate cast, as it were. Speaking of, speaking as the laird of Murrayfield himself, you're very happy with the outcome. Oh, I don't live there anymore, so I couldn't possibly comment. But I mean, it, it, it's it's a significant step forward, and I suppose a huge responsibility for, I guess, the SRU and the Scottish Rugby Public to have this um, quite sort of enormous event coming. And um, if it all if it all goes wrong, that could set back sort of other sports and, and rugby from um, from getting fans back as quickly as possible. So it is, while the game itself, and we'll come on to talk about it, may not mean that much um, in terms of league positions or points, it is quite a significant, um, significant event. Yeah, I mean, I think just kind of reviewing what's happening, if, I think it's the first stadium to have fans back in the UK, potentially. So it's... Um, Clearly, you know they've obviously got like a pretty good setup, and they've they seem to have a really good relationship with the Scottish government, like way more than any other sort of sporting institution in Scotland. And I did read something that I think that because the sort of you know kind of the the areas you walk around to get into your kind of section of the stand are kind of obviously like open rather than fully enclosed, so it almost makes it kind of better from like a health and safety perspective so finally the design of Murrayfield is actually benefiting someone <laughs> so but no no it'd be, it'd be good and you know I kind of I don't know what it's going to be like if you're a spectator I don't know if everyone's going to have to like wear masks for the whole game and no chanting <laughs> can you but, think of an Edinburgh chant Edinburgh, Edinburgh. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure there's some some rogue chance that we sort of mi- that we've sort of missed over the years. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Definitely, uh, there was a chunk song back in the day, but I can't remember how it went. I'm sure someone will still know it. Well, there was always that Black Eyed Peas song called Chunky, and I always remember there was a great YouTube compilation of Alan Jacobson to the song Chunky by Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> That is a great video. <laughs> well, but it, it is it is very 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 exciting. I don't know what the the situation is with masks and things like that. You think if they're outside, maybe once they're in the bowl, they won't have to wear them. But perhaps when they're um, coming in or something like that, they will. But um, I think there is a ballot that's gone out to um, it's favouring Edinburgh Rugby um, season ticket holders. Um, in the first instance, and you've got to live in the fairly immediate area around Murrayfield. Um, but uh, so yeah, seven hundred fans. It's it's going to be it's going to be very very strange. I mean, I think the much made joke online is that it won't be very different from another from any other Edinburgh rugby crowd. But seven hundred people in a sixty five thousand person stadium, in some ways, is almost worse than having n- no fans in at all because there'll be this sort of like dull quiet noise in the background but it will sort of not really resonate it'll be very very strange i'm sure i saw somewhere that 
all fans will be in the East Stand. Right. So at least at least there's sort of like it's not what seven hundred divided by sixty-seven and a half thousand. So it's like it's not like it's like you get a hundred seats per person. I think it is going to be sort of at least semi-contained in sort of one area. It would be quite funny if they literally just put like each single person with a sort of hundred seats around. Someone in like double Z in like the uh, the top of the West Stand, absolutely miles yeah. away. <laughs> but I think it's all going to be contained to to one stand. So at least within that area, there'll be probably sort of like mild level of atmosphere. <laughs> put that put that on your posters. Come along for a mild level of atmosphere. Um, well, we will get onto that as we um, preview the game uh, later on in the pod. But before we get there, we've got the small um, bit of business of the 1872 Cup from the weekend. It went, if you don't already know, um, the way of Edinburgh. Fairly convincingly in the end, 30 points to 15. Um, Nick Groom with a brace for Edinburgh. Um, Pete Horn scoring for Glasgow. I can't remember who got the third try for Edinburgh. Charlie Shield. Charlie Shield, of course, an absolute worldie from uh, from the young man. Um, Alan, we already had your sort of top line thoughts right at the beginning. Matt, what was um, what was your take on the game? Yeah, I think it was kind of um, a bit of a slow start as we had um, pinpointed last week, just because you know the teams are rusty and it was pretty apparent from the start that the referees have had these new directives on the breakdown, which I, I, I get it's clearly, you know, it's, it's zero tolerance at the moment and they're saying they're stall out to, to improve things, but it did just completely kill the kind of the flow of the game for, I'd say the first like 20 minutes or so. Um, but then after that, it sort of became, you know, for 50 minutes or so um, like a, a pretty good contest. And I thought that Glasgow were actually, um, for parts of that better than I thought they'd be. Um, but but just as the game went on, um, as Edinburgh were able to bring on, you know, Schumann and Bergen um, as their front row subs, Glasgow's bench didn't really have that much of an impact and the game just completely fell away from them. Um, so Edinburgh were deserved winners in the end, but I, I felt there was, you know, Glasgow can be pretty pleased with at least the, the sort of first portion of, of the match. Yeah, I think we, and we even spoke about it. Uh, in it. I think a lot of the stuff, especially in the forward pack that we discussed in last week's pod, sort of came to fruition where it felt, you know, even for the first sort of 50, 55 minutes that the two front fives were relatively well matched. And there was even sort of periods where, you know, Glasgow looked like they were a little bit on top or right, in kind of the tight areas. And then probably that Edinburgh back row just kind of slightly edged out that Glasgow back row, especially around the breakdown, which given kind of you have like Matt Ferguson at seven, is pretty pretty to be expected. And then yeah, just felt as the game went on and especially as the kind of replacements came on, there just became this kind of golf golfing class between between the two teams that ultimately just sort of you know, gave gave Edinburgh kind of a pretty healthy, relatively sort of easy win in the end. At the end of the day, yeah, I think that's I think that's probably right. I mean, that was that was a big moment of uh, I guess clarity for me of sort of the way Edinburgh's sort of strength and depth has developed when they could hook 
um, their entire their full front row, leaving Rambo on obviously, and bring on players of Schumann and Bergen's quality. Um, and it just felt that um, when Glasgow went to the bench, it just wasn't it just wasn't there. Um, I thought Adam Hastings had a had a fairly disappointing outing, which is a shame after his um, his sort of top form in the Six Nations just before we all. Um, we all went away on holiday. Did you think that um, Jakob van der Volt was the man of the match? Because I didn't. I think um, he very much benefited from his forward pack um, getting the upper hand over Glasgow's. Um, you know, he, he's he's like a you know a good solid player who is a, a you know a, a good goal kicker as well. But I I feel that um, particularly in attack, he just doesn't you know, A, offer that threat in terms of being able to break the line. And he also just, the way he plays is so deep. He He's almost, when he gets the ball, and I saw this when Edinburgh was trying to, try, were sort of trying to, to put some phases together. He either kind of stands still or like almost runs backwards away from the gain line and just kind of ships quite average passes to the likes of Mata um, or Mark or Mark Bennett or or Watson, and it's kind of like on you go. You know, um, you're the guy that's going to make something happen. I just I just feel like that's the thing that Edinburgh are lacking at the moment. That kind of ten who has that all round game who can also add in attack. Um, so no, he didn't have a bad game by any means. But I felt to give him a man of the match was 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 uh, was probably the wrong decision. Um, I think that Watson played really well. Um, I think. Uh, I think Chris Dean had a better game than him as well, um, and and Blair Kinghorn for that matter. So, yeah, bit of an odd decision. The the issue with Hastings as well appeared to be a little bit both in attack and and defence. I think you probably let him off for the for the Duhan miss. Seeing as I mean, like how scary did Duhan look carrying that ball in one hand? But uh, you would have expected him, I think, to sort of pick off Charlie Shield whilst you know, whilst obviously it was like a great run. Um, and yeah, the interesting thing I was having, we look in attack and Adam Hastings only passed the ball 13 times, which I guess just, you know, for a 10 in a game that wasn't kind of like, you know, up the jumper stuff feels like a very sort of low number. I, I kind of thought that, um, Glasgow didn't really get much of like a sort of, um, an attacking structure in place at all. Um, and the, and the bits of play that they did, you know, when they got those bits together, they, they scored their tries. But beyond that, it was, it was a bit scrappy. Um, and, and that maybe is just due to the fact that they didn't have the territory um, or the platform to to play with. Because um, even I kind of think of some of their better bits of attack, um, you know, like Hugh Jones returning the ball quite nicely from fullback. They, they were more kind of individual bits. Um, and, and didn't you find out that, that Glasgow only made one clean break in the whole game? Yeah, no, it, exactly. Versus, um, well, Edinburgh, who had seven, which you know, is historically just not something that you would ever expect. And then I think defenders beaten, I think Edinburgh had about 29, which I think like half of them were Duhan and Charlie Shield versus about 11 with Glasgow. So in terms of attacking threat and kind of, kind of cutting up your opponent's defence, Edinburgh were vastly superior. I kind of felt another thing 
lacking with Glasgow was just the the kind of impact in the forwards. Like you you know that um, Harley Wilson, um, you know C- Cummings and maybe Gray, they're all like you know really good solid all round players who smash rocks all day. They'll make tackles. Um, and I thought R- Richie Gray had a good game, but it felt like a lot of his contributions were kind of um, not that material in the context of the game. So it was, you know, making like a a semi-passive tackle, which is, you know, so good and it'll look good in the stats, but it, it didn't feel like there was anyone in the pack, um, you know, with the exception of maybe the Fagersons and I thought Kebble carried quite well and Brown's always aggressive, but I think the rest of the pack just didn't really bring enough to the party. Um, whereas you compare that to, you know, Watson, Matter, who I thought, like, didn't get a chance to show his offloading ability, but was making meters and, and taking, you know, it was taking two or three people to take him down whenever he was carrying. And even, like, when Jamie Hodgson came on, it seemed like he, someone like him was making more of an impact than 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 a Wilson or, or Harley, who seemed, you know, fairly anonymous. And particularly when those guys are senior players, you'd expect to stand up. Jamie Hodgson has put on an awful lot of weight since he um, since he was playing, I guess, pre-lockdown. He looked so much bigger um, when he came on. I don't know if it's just like he's growing or he's just been bulking throughout um, but lockdown, but he looked, um, he looked massive. There's a few comments going around that a few players, rather than looking massive in a good way, potentially looking like a little bit massive in a bad way, just like, I saw a weird comment floated at Nick Grigg saying he's maybe like putting a few pounds over the lockdown period. Yeah. The thing is, they all looked absolutely fucked by the end. I think, um, and actually, I felt, um, there was a few periods of time where there was a lot of like ball in play. And yeah. I actually thought, you know, both teams in moments were really, were trying to sort of play. You know, I, I know that Edinburgh, I think sometimes try and play and then remember that like Cockrell's going to give them a bollocking afterwards to sort of revert back the type a little bit. Um, but I actually think in terms of openness, it's probably better than the vast majority of previous 1872 Cup games. I think it had the same, maybe the same openness as the last game in terms of like the sort of the ambition to play from both sides, but just not quite the execution. So I felt that that was sort of the you know particularly the second half of the last eighteen seventy two game um, over Christmas. Edinburgh's execution was you know like um, pretty spot on. Um, I, I do kind of think though that like particularly for that first half, the the referee and the, his touch judges did just kill any kind of fluidity. Um, and there were a few calls I think they you know for that one like Christine's pass to Duhan, which was absolutely fine. Um, a couple of breakdown calls that didn't go Glasgow's way as well. Uh, I felt sort of made made life a bit difficult for us. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sides. Mike Addison was calling, he seemed to be giving um, scrum halves an absolute eternity to use the ball at the back of um, the back of rocks and malls. There was one which was sort of like, I think someone on Twitter timed it sort of like 28 seconds from use it till the ball actually being used, which just sort of gave added to the sort of, I guess, little bit of frustration with the refereeing performance. Um, just going to dive into the mailbag quickly, actually. We've got a really good email from um, Alistair McFadgen fan. That's the mail. That's uh, the thistle rugby at gmail.com if you want to add something in there. He's a Glasgow fan. Um, and he said that this season should be treated like 2010-11 was. Blood the young ones, get them game time, and develop them into hardened professionals. Bain, Flocker, Gard, Gordon, McDowell, McLean, Nairn, Nickel, McDonald, and Doby. That's the future of our team. We know we are nowhere good enough to challenge for the title this year, so we should change it up, bleed the new guys under Wilson's guidance, and hopefully reap the benefits in a few years. Thanks very much for that. Alistair, lads, what do you make of that sort of analysis of how Glasgow should tackle, I suppose, the new season when it comes? So partially agree, but Glasgow did come second last in the 2010-11 season behind Treviso. <laughs> so I feel like I, I can see where you're coming from, and I think in sort of certain areas of the team, he's probably correct. I think back row especially, I think you might you're going to have players like again Ferguson, Bruce Flockhart, to his name, and then probably Tom Gordon as well, who are either young or don't have a lot of caps. That I think. Longer term, longer term, it would be beneficial for Glasgow if they get some serious game time this year. However, I think to the point we made last week is you look at that front five, and you know that is a world class front five with Nakawara to come. So it feels like it's probably a bit of a middle ground between looking at opportunities to sort of blood those youngsters, but then at the same time. You know, Glasgow do still have that base to, I think, be challenging for. They're probably not going to be challenging to win the Pro 14 next year, but they should. They should definitely still be looking at like playoff places. I think um, it, it's interesting with Danny Wilson coming in that you know he he can almost approach things with a you know a fresh pair of eyes and look over that squad and and not care to try not to care too much about reputation and and the amount of cats players have got and. You know, for for instance, the fact that he did select Harley Wilson, um, and the the fact that he decided to experiment with Hugh Jones at fullback, you know, that presumably says something about what he thinks about the next cab on the rank. Um, that maybe he doesn't feel like Tom Gordon is quite ready to be a you know um, week in week out starter, uh, and that you know putting in someone like Rufus McLean when, you know, Glasgow did have something to play for, at least, you know, mathematically isn't the best idea, but maybe now that Glasgow are out of the race, um, you might see a bit more experimentation. Um, 
I think on the on the Doby point, you kind of still got Price and Horn, so there's no there's no rush with him. Um, Robbie Nairn's an interesting one. He never really seems to have had a run of games, whether that's sort of down to to form or or injury. Um, it, it would be interesting to see him um, have a few more more shots. But uh, yeah, I almost I don't know if it's as simple as just like getting getting rid of the the, the dead wood, as it were. You've also got Rufus McLean, obviously, who I still feels more of an idea than an actual thing. Yeah, so People have seen the sort of 10-minute YouTube video and want it to be something that potentially <laughs> potentially is not going to be. But, again, ultimately, it does feel, to your point, that Danny Wilson clearly feels like there is a big gap at 15, probably doesn't trust Rufus McLean, to take it up, so it's clearly kind of trying to shift Hugh Jones into that position, who admittedly looked relatively comfortable. What did you guys? Um, what did you make of the niggle? Three or four scraps breaking out. Um, who do you think? Uh, what do you think was behind all of that? Just a bit of pent up frustration from lockdown, or do you think we're actually beginning to see a genuine rivalry emerge between um, Edinburgh and Glasgow? Um, a, a bit of both. Um... I think that you know, there wasn't much in a lot of it, um, but you know there were a few kind of matchups, like a few points, flash points between like Mac and Ali and Brown, who are obviously competing for positions. Um, I think like Sutherland and Fagerson, even though they play on different sides of the scrum, um, I don't know. I didn't feel like there was that much in it really, uh, and you could sit, you could kind of sense that someone like Ryan Wilson, who's good at that kind of thing was was looking to make a nuisance of himself, but there's only so far that can take you as opposed to like, you know, him putting in a huge hit or making a a good carry. So it I don't know, it was a bit frustrating in some respects that like Glasgow seemed a bit more intent on that niggle than Edinburgh, if that's if that's fair. Yeah, I think you're probably I think you're probably right. I mean I think particularly when you're pointing Ryan Wilson, he did seem much more intent on um, just those little scraps than getting involved in the game or, or putting his mark on the game, which I think is a, a frustration um, for many. But uh, I think, look, I think the winners from that are the PR departments and um, the next person who's putting the person who's putting together the montage for this weekend's um, Edinburgh Glasgow game, because then they've got some really nice sort of fight B roll to really sort of ham up the um, the rivalry. Shall we uh, shall we look ahead at this weekend, or is there anything else that you want to cover off from uh, from the weekend itself? No, nothing else, I think. So what, um, so again, Friday Night Lights, 700 people in the crowd at Murrayfield this weekend. Um, you are Danny Wilson, Alan. What changes would you bring for this game? I mean, there is nothing on the line for Glasgow. A bit of pride... Scotland jerseys, I suppose, in the autumn, the theoretical autumn tests at the moment. Um, a bit of pride and a chance for, to, to put your hand up for those. What changes would you like to see Glasgow make um, for this game? I think um, there's a few just probably easy changes, I think. Again, just bringing kind of George Horn in at nine, kind of switching switching him and Ali Price round. I do think potentially someone like Bruce Flockhart, who... We sort of had a few opportunities last year and 
do feel has shown in those moments that you know he's someone who is able to kind of compete at that level. I think it'd probably be nice to see him kind of up against, you know, depending on what Glasgow, depending on what Edinburgh put out, it'll still probably be a relatively good high level back row. But to be honest, you know, out with kind of six months, it feels like you, I know there's now going to be another gap for another two months, but it feels like for the majority of those players, you still want to keep kind of getting that game time and just kind of taking those opportunities where you can to kind of build up those partnerships, whether it's Richie Gray and Cummings or, you know, potentially whether it's kind of Jones at fullback with kind of Seymour and Tegeve on either side. So to answer your question, not very much. <laughs> yeah, the, the only thing I I would kind of agree in is, is a bit of a mix-up in the back row, maybe. It's, it's interesting, someone had... Um, I saw I was tweeting about Bruce, Bruce Flockhart. His his contract still hasn't been renewed yet officially, as far as I'm aware. Um, which is a bit odd, but yeah, it, it would just be nice to see like someone like him or Tom Gordon come in um, and just you know given a bit of free reign to to be a bit more destructive, um, whether that's around the breakdown or or carrying. Um, apart from that, though, we kind of. You look at the Glasgow bench, and there's not too many changes you'd you'd make. Um, the Hugh Jones one is is interesting because, you know, I think he did a good job, but I would much rather see him for the good of Scottish rugby running out at thirteen. Um, and I, I think that I just don't still I still don't see him as a a long term option at at fifteen. So I'd almost rather he was playing in his preferred position at thirteen. Um, given a run of games there in his best position and that Glasgow were to try something a bit different at fullback or, or at least, you know, stick with something that they could see as a long-term option. Um, oh, the other, the other guy I'd start is um, this random, like, old guy who came on at prop, Dylan Evans. That's actually what I was going to say. <laughs> who the hell is this guy? Glasgow snuck that under the radar. They They hadn't announced it and then... The first time anyone saw anything of it was as part of their team announcement release. It, he it made that. Hard. He made one. He made one very great um, like rip of the ball um, during, during one piece of the play, but I didn't. I didn't really notice much else from Dylan. Yeah, it it was a bit a bit odd, but I I also thought it was odd that they subbed because I thought Kebble was. I, I mean, I don't know enough about scrums. Maybe that was where Glasgow was struggling. struggling. It didn't seem that way, but Kebbled carried a lot. He seemed to be sort of a, a, a quite important point of attack. I thought Kebbled had a good game. I thought his sort of silver hair was quite interesting as well. Wasn't really what I was expecting from him, but I thought he looked good. Scott's qualified Ollie Kebbled, of course. He is now um, over the line, um, as well as um, Duhan van der Merwe and... Um, I think Jakob van der Waal is also um, now residency qualified for Scotland. Um, and we can talk about that in a sec. But what, what, if you're Edinburgh, you are obviously you've got a semi-final coming up against Ulster the following week. And then you've got a couple, you've got a week off and then you've got a European campaign to try and kick on with. Are you trying to stick with what you've got at the moment? Or do you think Richard Cockrell will um, make a few, make a few changes? I almost feel like um, Edinburgh have got enough momentum on the back of that that 
I, I don't think they will play their strongest team. But then, you know, Edinburgh could rotate their team and you look at that bench, they could like bring in Taylor, Haining, you know, maybe Bergen, Megan, maybe a Willemsa hooker. Um, and you, you never know when sort of like, you know, maybe it's a chance to bring back someone like Richie or Darcy Graham from injury. I'm not sure how long those guys are out for. Um, you can actually still like put out a, a really decent 15 that you'd still be fairly confident of beating Glasgow. It's it's maybe also quite a good chance to play, um, to give Nathan Chamberlain a bit of game time because it seems as if he is going to be the only backup 10. Um, and it's not an ideal situation, but you, you'd rather going into semi-final against Ulster that he at least had some professional um, minutes under under his belt. I mean, what, what I'd like to see both teams doing this weekend is just putting on a bit of a show. It feels like it should be a bit of an exhibition. There's nothing on the line in terms of, um, I guess, league points or anything like that. Um, but you've got fans in the stadium for the first time. You're tr- sort of trying to make it an exciting event for people. The last thing you want to happen is to sort of just go off without a shot. So it'd be great to see, I guess, both teams sort of embracing that and um, and picking sort of young, exciting teams that they can. And I guess just adding to the points you're making on, on Edinburgh there, I mean, bringing those guys back from injury. Edinburgh were... Edinburgh were missing players like Darcy Graham, Jamie Ritchie, Magnus Bradbury, Ben Toulis, and Henry Purgus, all sort of seasoned internationals. So they are, you know, that depth that we were talking about earlier is, is um, yeah, it's, it's, it's looking really, really strong. I kind of see where you're coming from, but then at the same time, going into kind of the semi-final and the final, there's part of me that would like love to see, like, just a, a really composed, very Edinburgh performance just because it just feels like if you have like a really open game where they're just almost like exhibitioning it it's just not particularly going to help Edinburgh going into that semi-final and final where you know you expect against Ulster I think they're probably going to tighten up quite a lot so whilst I get from a sort of visual perspective or enjoyment kind of neutral perspective having that kind of sort of game would be fun it feels like for the success of Edinburgh, them just kind of almost like doing a very dominant kind of classic Edinburgh performance is the best way to go. Okay, Anne. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> just what my, you know, like, Look, I, I completely, like, utterly understand and agree with everything you've just said, but also, come on, <laughs> let the boys play. <laughs> Maybe like 69. Just grind it down, maybe one pushover try. Just really you, get them prepped for Ulster. You just love misery. You're like, you want like a gritty, pouring with wet rain Friday night. Really test them. That's all they need, though. If they're going to beat Leinster in the final. Well, we've talked about it enough. Um, what do you think is going to happen on Friday night? Um, Matt, I'll come to you first. I still, I think even if Edinburgh changed their side quite a lot, I still think they'll have enough to, to beat Glasgow. Uh, Glasgow might give a few kind of fringe young players a shot. So I think Edinburgh, same predictions last week, Edinburgh by 10 and 12. I didn't realise it was Friday night until you just said it. I've committed to doing something on Friday night, so I'm not sure I can watch the game. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was on Saturday. Um, but yeah. I still stick 69, grind it out, 
Grant Gilchrist try. Grant Gilchrist try. Well, that is you'll you'll probably get about thirty to one on Grant Gilchrist scoring at any time for that. I'm going to stick with my sort of Murrayfield Globetrotters prediction, and it's going to be forty-five thirty-nine to Glasgow with a Jamie Doby hat trick, and that is what the fans want to see. That would be great. <laughs> That would be wild. Right. Um, we will see. We'll be back next week, or at least Alan and I will be back next week. Um, Matt will be sunning himself. Um, so we will be back to you next week. But before you head off, um, I've got another quiz. I've got some more Scottish rugby players for you to guess how many clubs they've played for. Um, so if you weren't with us last week, I'll just quickly recap the rules. I'll give Matt and Alan the name of a Scottish rugby player and the number of clubs that they've played for, and then they will sort of bid to talk to um, say how many of those clubs that they can name, and then the winner will be the person that can name them. So, Scottish rugby legend Scott Murray has played for six clubs. Um, Alan, you went first last week, so Matt, you can go first this week. How many clubs of Scott Murray can you name? That's a tough one. Uh, I'm going to go four. Four out of six. I can't do do five, (laughs) sorry. So uh, I'll um, I'll let you go. Let's have your your four then, Matt. I thought that was quite a punchy bid. Okay, so I think he started at Bedford. Correct. Saracens, correct. Uh, Edinburgh, correct. I know he played in France. I think it was Cast. Correct. That is very impressive. Well is, done. Is, are the other two Montauban? Montauban is correct. And Newcastle. No, there's another. Um, French team, Stade Montois, M-O-N-T-O-I-S, <laughs> who I'd never heard of. Wow, 1-0 to Matt, well done. Oh, they're my son, I think, different name. Possibly. Um, well, a very good start from Matt there, 1-0 up. Um, the second player, um, legend of the game, Daryl Marfo has played for six clubs. <laughs> how many? How many Daryl Marfo's clubs have you got, Alan? To uh, you. There's a lot of loan four. spells. Do you say six total? Six total. For some reason, I think Hanny can get five, but <laughs> I'll say four. All right, Matt. Uh, I I'll call Alan on that. I think I've got four. I've, I've not got five. So Edinburgh, yeah, Bath, yeah, Os- Ospreys, and yeah. Harlequins. Correct. In fact, it's actually seven clubs because Ospreys wasn't on his Wikipedia, but Ospreys is correct. <laughs> so. The, 
London, 25 appearances for London Welsh, and then two loan spells during his time at Harlequins. He played once Ealing? for London Scottish. Yes, once for London Scottish and four times for Ealing. <laughs> what a man, what a career. There you go. So um, that's one all hotting up here. Um, let's go for... Another man in the in the headlines tonight, Sam Hidalgo Klein has scored for Exeter in their win against Bristol Bears tonight. It is a great try. Check it out on our Twitter account. He's played for six clubs, including one which I just gave you, which you both agree to go anyway. Six clubs, Sam Hidalgo Klein. Uh, I'm going to go six. Oh, <laughs> go on then. Oh, I, I can't outbeat you. So. <laughs> I have not really thought about them too much. So, uh, Edinburgh? Yes. Scarlets? Correct. Harlequins, Leon, Racing 92, Exeter? Boom. All six. Yes. That was pretty good. It's not well too bad, done. actually, because he's moved. So recently that when you get one, it's like a kind of domino effect. Yeah. So that is um, so two one to Matt Allen coming back to you for a bid on Nathan Hines five clubs. Mm. With three, Matt, have you got four? Uh, yeah, I think I've got four. Four will, t- four will give you the win. A 3-1 victory. Go on. Uh, Alan, have you got go? five? Yeah, it's Alan's got five. I'm going to assume Alan's not got five. I've, 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 really, I've really screwed this up because I think I could get four, but I just don't think I can get five. <laughs> so now... Pass so tacti- tactically flawed. Go yeah. on then, Matt. Uh, Edinburgh. Perpignan. Yep, yep. Fairmont. Yeah. Sale? Sorry, say that again? Who did you say? Sale? Sale Sharks yeah. is correct. Yeah. You missed, I guess, I the bigger one of Leinster. Oh, yeah, of course. Leinster was his fifth club. Um, so, Matt, a big win for you, 3-1. Bouncing back after a, a 4-1 horsing last week. Couldn't let that stand. The fifth one. The fifth one is um, you're one of Scottish rugby's greatest sons, Dan Parks. Four clubs, all all in the Northern Hemisphere. All in the Northern Hemisphere. Hmm. Well, I'm just looking at his Wikipedia. There's a there's a footnote that says correct as of 10th of May 2014. Can't imagine there was many changes since then, but. Dan Parks' uh, wiki needs a bit of an update. I've got the three. Yeah, I've got three. Glasgow, Connacht, Cardiff. Yeah. Yeah. In the, year two, in the year 2001, he made six appearances for another club. Country? England. And it used to be quite, it used to be quite popular for a Scottish exile. Leeds Tykes. Ah. Oh. Interesting. He played, he played, he played six. 
He played six games and scored 51 points for Leeds. It's actually a pretty decent return. <laughs> was, that, was that in the championship? Really? It, might, it may well have been in 2001. I'm not sure what they were in. Um, also reading Dan Parks' Wikipedia, did you know that in 2016 he was on the books as Samoa's skills coach? Did didn't know that. I did know that. To be fair. Oh, did you? I did know fair that. Fair play. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> well, you don't get paid for that, though, do you? No. We'll do, we'll do um, obscure skills jobs for Dan Parks another day because he had two other coaching appointments. But I don't think we need to go into this. Um, right. Let's call that a day. Um, thank you very much for joining us again. Um, we are now back into weekly pods and weekly newsletters so you can get your absolute th- fill of us. Um, subscribe, give us a review. Reviews really help us out on iTunes in particular, so please get on there and let us know what you think about the pod. You can follow us on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod, on Instagram, Thistle Understroke Rugby Understroke Pod. Get your emails read out on the pod by writing into the Thistle Rugby at gmail.com and subscribe to the newsletter that is Substack, S U B S T A C K, and type in Thistle Rugby Podcast. And you will find us. Subscribe to the newsletter and we will be in your inbox every Monday morning. But for now, peace. See ya. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.